0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the new and improved Basecamp podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Riley. Thank you for tuning in. This is the February March training issue episode. So, we're going to be sitting down with Matt Sammet, editor in chief at Climbing. He's going to be giving a little preview of the issue, some of his favorite articles and departments. And he's also going to be talking about some of the gear that he's been testing recently. Then James Lucas is going to be sitting down with Will Eglin, co-owner at Tension Climbing. They're going to be talking all things training. So if training's on your radar, if you're looking to improve uh, physically, mentally, technically, definitely want to give it a listen. Will has a lot of good tidbits that definitely are going to help you out in your training. So without further ado, let's get after it and let's talk with Matt Salmon. Alright, here with Matt Samet on the new and improved Basecamp podcast. How's it going, Matt?
1: I'm good. It's Friday afternoon, so I'm, I'm feeling good about that. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing
0: good. I'm heading to Shelf this weekend.
1: Nice. Beautiful Shelf. I've been there before. <laughs> yeah. I think the first time I went to Shelf was probably 30 years ago, if that gives you any <laughs> idea of how old I am. So,
0: Do you go to Shelf regularly still, or...? Is that not on your top 10 list Shelf's anymore? Shelf's not really high on the <laughs> list.
1: It was a lot of fun in the 80s, those little pockets and that yeah. vertical crimpy style. And then rifle came along and, and that sort of supplanted mm-hmm. it for me for limestone climbing. But uh, I've, I have good memories of the place.
0: Yeah, I always forget when I go to Shelf like how historic it is. It really was one of the first sport climbing destination areas in the States, right?
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, I think Shelf... Penitente, uh, Smith Rock, the new, they all kind of emerged in that same period, Uh like mid to late 80s. But yeah, Shelf was, I believe it was like Colorado's kind of first purely sport climbing area. I mean, Uh you know how it is. It doesn't loan itself very well to trad climbing because it's limestone and Uh there's not really cracks there. If there are, the gear is going to tear out. So yeah, it was, and I think it was kind of inspired by Bukes and the Verdone at the time. You know, people Mm -hmm. were looking for those clean, sweeping limestone faces. So yeah, it was, yeah, one of the first places, you know, with like five eleven, five twelve sport
0: climbing. Nice. Well I'm excited. I love the crowds. I love the dogs. Yes. I love the partying at night, the bonfires. <laughs> it's all good stuff for me. There you go. <laughs> so I want to talk about the February, March training issue, but before we do that, you got back recently from your Cayman Brack trip. We talked about that in the previous episode. How was it?
1: Oh, we had a blast on Cayman Brac. You know, we left here, I think. December 8th, you know, super early morning flight, driving to the airport. It's like 10, 15 degrees out, dark, cold, <laughs> miserable wind. You know, it's like, I, what are we doing? Like, we need to get out of here. And, you know, we you fly, you fly all day. It's a long flight. Got off the plane and Grand Cayman and, you know, we're still wearing our kind of Colorado clothes and it's like 80, 85 degrees and uh-huh. sunny and everyone's happy and wearing shorts and there's chickens walking around outside the <laughs> airport and yeah cayman brack was great it's a very small island it's only like 12 miles long maybe a mile wide at the widest um you know so it's it's very contained and all the climbing it's just this limestone island that kind of rises to higher and higher limestone cliffs as you drive north along it Uh and on both sides of the island there's just these escarpments Um, and then at the very tip of the island is this place called the point which is the highest part of the limestone bluff it's like 140 feet tall and it drops straight to the sea so you know, you can kind of sport climb on the sunny or the shady side of the island. You can move back and forth. You can go out to the point, which is in the shade all day. Um, it's really wild. You like start at the top, you wrap in, you wrap straight to the waves and you're just at these sort of semi hanging belays right above the waves, which can be big and booming and they've hollowed out the cliff below you. Uh So on a, on a wild windy day, you know, they're just breaking right under you, sea sprays everywhere. Um, super mellow we only ran into like five or six other climbers wow yeah island's not a very big touristic island i think it's mainly a place where people go to scuba dive so Mm -hmm. you know it was just sort of us the locals and then there's like a bunch of middle-aged scuba scuba divers there uh and that's it yeah it was really good and it's just really fun limestone sport climbing yeah Uh, tufa climbing overhanging pocket climbing face climbing and they've i uh, done it up there too with glue and bolts, which is key because a lot of it's sea cliff and seaside climbing. A yeah, we
0: th- were talking about the titanium bolts. Y- yeah, the, they were nice. They were yeah. really nice.
1: Like, <laughs> you can see some of the old roots and literally some of the bolts have just like sheared off. Like I uh-huh. think no one, people didn't even fall on them. They just got so rusty and crappy that they just like fell off the rock. Uh-huh. So it was nice to be clipping good hardware.
0: Was the climbing style what you were expecting?
1: yeah it was yeah it was really physical kind of european style tufa style limestone Uh (laughs) i
0: saw you on your uh i think it was your instagram or facebook you called it the south south table mountain which, oh, had, yeah. <laughs> which, had, which had me cracking up for people who aren't uh familiar with the boulder area there's a place in golden called table mountain mm. which is kind of like a red-headed stepchild yeah. i would say of the uh front range climbing scene mm-hmm. <laughs> what did you mean by that did they, were they similar in style as oh, well
1: <laughs> i think i was just talking trash i think i think people were surprised oh, yeah, yeah trash? me talk i don't know oddly enough i'd Kind of broke from character for a minute to talk trash. I, I think that people were surprised that I was posting photos of me climbing on a tropical island because I never go anywhere. Cause I never, totally. I never have any money or anything, but um, yeah. So I think I was just joking with maybe Peter Beale. He's like, "Where are you?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, South South Table Mountain." Because you know it's a little farther south than table mountain yeah. no it's definitely nothing like Table okay, Mountain. okay okay now I like i'll it. give table mountain like an f minus rating as a climbing <laughs> area and i'd give cayman bracken an a, an a or an a plus so.
0: for people that might want to visit what should they know about it do you have any good beta for people
1: i do um you definitely want to rent a car you know there's the cliffs are spread out enough that you need a car You know, I think the best season, so we went in December and a lot of the stuff on the south side of the island is really sunny Mm -hmm. most of the day and you just absolutely do not want to climb in the sun. It's a hot tropical environment even in December. So I think if you want to be able to maximize your experience, go a little later in the spring, like February into March, because the sun is higher and the south side crags will be in the shade earlier. So there are a few cliffs that we just kind of didn't get to because they were too sunny and warm or we'd get to them late in the day and because you're near the equator you know like the sun sets at like 5 30 or 6 so you Mm -hmm. don't have those long afternoons to kind of enjoy some of those crags um yeah i'd say that bring snorkeling gear there's lots of good snorkeling around there um yeah and just kind of bring bring your own entertainment i think that sort of would have jeff Aki put it put it to us in the email because he he'd been there and written about it it's like don't go there expecting like Ibiza and some party island with raving <laughs> and all this stuff to do. Like at night, I mean, all you see are stars and, and, yeah. and, and beach. So if you want a mellow, quiet, you know, climbing and chilling vacation, it, it, it's really perfect.
0: Did you chill? Did you chill by the beach?
1: I did. Is yeah, we took we took rental bikes and rode around the island a lot, which is really nice. Uh-huh. Yeah, we went to the beach. We snorkeled a little bit. There's the the public beach there is one of the few sandy beaches and there was nobody there ever i mean if that gives you an idea of just how empty the place yeah, is yeah, like definitely. you go to this huge beautiful sandy beach and there's not a soul so
0: did james uh find any bouldering while he was there <laughs> you know
1: james and nina who are boulderers they they didn't find any there's shorter limestone stuff you could do but okay. i think it, it would probably tear your hands up pretty well the rock can be pretty spiny there except um Kind of on the overhanging stuff yeah they, they hung up a hangboard i think at, at the beach one day oh
0: cool i actually i saw that photo I Saw on that photo yeah facebook or instagram
1: that lasted all i think one session they're like yeah we're gonna hang board every day and stay in shape and then, <laughs> then yeah
0: all right let's get into the february march training issue we got hot copies i
1: just read it cover to cover
0: great issue awesome what were some of the highlights for you in that issue
1: you know the cover, I think is pretty amazing. It's Nina williams red pointing one of the crux pitches of father time. I think the the quote unquote index eleven d pitch, which uh-huh. you know index is known for its sandbag ratings, yeah. so it's this corner that I think is actually thirteen b but you know involves a lot of stemming and scumming and stuff like that. It's just a really a really cool shot. It was taken by Julie Ellison, who is mm-hmm. our um the former editor of Climbing was our senior contributing editor will be a contributing editor next year. But Julie's you know, sort of taken off and done her, her own stuff in the media with Working For Us and, and Never Not Collective. Um, mm-hmm. Just a really exemplary image, I think, a lot of drama in it. Nina's on an undercling looking up at the crux, Katie Lambert's down there at the belay. Like, it just has that sort of classic climbing feel where it's yeah. like big air, big drop, big commitment two partners together, you know, getting it done.
0: Well, real quick, just talking about Julie. She has another feature in there, the School of Rock. Oh, yeah. Which is a really great article, and I believe you talked about that in Mm -hmm. your editor's note. I mean, just the idea of, you know, in high school, getting to travel across the globe to learn about rock climbing as well as, you know, learning the regular high school curriculum. It's just such a a mind-blowing idea and something I would never even think about while I was in high school, though, would... I've loved to have been able to have that opportunity.
1: Oh, yeah. It's crazy
0: how climbing has, you know, changed and evolved over the years.
1: Yeah, to think that the sport's big enough to support something like that is pretty amazing. I mean, like, when I was climbing in high school, it wasn't on anyone's radar at all. Like, people were Uh surprised. I mean, we lived in a city where you could see the mountains and see the cliffs, and people were still most people in my high school were just like shocked that I would go rock climbing. Uh They're like, "What? what, what do you do? Why? You know, and I, there were like three or four of us at the high school who were climbers and we all kind of stuck together. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what a cool opportunity. You know, she went out to Kalimnos and spent, I think a week or two with them, just kind of shadowing them and and climbing with them. But yeah, I thought it was a really great kind of slice of life piece and just shows like how much potential there is in the sport right now yeah
0: totally and it was interesting to hear how a lot of the students were actually indoor climbers Mm -hmm. who hadn't really climbed outside much but after traveling around the world visiting some of you know the premier destinations really uh, fell in love with outdoor climbing and cared less and less about the indoor competitive climbing circuits that they had been involved with in the past
1: yeah, it seems like a lot of sort of moved away from competing. And they're uh-huh. like, oh, I just want to climb outside. Which, totally. Uh, which Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're somewhere like Kalimnos and then yeah. the Red, and I mean, after uh-huh. a while, you're like, oh, this is a lot more fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, another um, feature that was in there was the Wide Boys article, mm-hmm. which, you know, was really cool to follow the whole progression of them picking the project, training for it visiting it scoping it out returning multiple times and i, I won't give away the end but um <laughs> it, it was really cool to uh you know follow them along that entire journey
1: yeah i thought it was i mean it was a really unique opportunity this um photojournalist, tristan hobson who's based in europe uh i think originally from colorado was like you know i'm going out there with the wide boys which is um tom randall and pete whitaker the the uk crack climbing guys while well, they try um the recovery drink, which is that mm-hmm. 14-seat crack that Nico yeah. of rest put up that only has had very few ascents. Yeah, I mean, I thought the beauty for me wasn't just that here's two really good climbers getting the shape of their life and trying one of the world's hardest routes. I just felt like it was very relatable mm-hmm. because it took this struggle that we all have to climb our hardest and sort of broke it down into its constituent parts. Like they suss out the route, they learn the moves, they learn what they need to do to address their deficiencies on those moves, they go home and train specifically for it, they return to the route, they go back home and train some more, like they're going through all the same sort of machinations that, that all of us do to, to climb our hardest. And I thought Tristan did a really good job of just kind of getting into the nitty gritty details of it. And it fit well with the training issue, because you know, they did um, very route specific training to, to try to make this climb happen.
0: Yeah. And kind of throughout all of the training content that I've read in the article as well as with the interview with Will from Tension Climbing, mm-hmm. is it seems like the best training program is the one that you do and you follow <laughs> through with and the one that you set up for yourself. There's no best training program that someone can give
1: you. Right. It's
0: something you really needed to or you really need to customize for yourself.
1: Yeah, I think it is. And it has to be something that you stay motivated to do. I mean, if if you go to someone and, and you cook up a training program and everything on that list makes you miserable and, and unhappy and, and makes you not psyched to climb, then you're not going to... You might get stronger, but you probably won't be able to apply it because you're not psyched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was good. And it just sort of shows how these two guys incorporated training into their lives too, which I think is another kind of key thing for climbers. You know, as we get older and responsibility piles up, you know, it's not like you can just train and climb all the time whenever you want i mean like tom randall has two kids just like me and he would just like come home at night and have this crazy board in his backyard this simulating kind of the compression crux of this route and he'd just go into his backyard and do laps on it you know like using what time he had yeah i thought it was i thought it was a really cool article and the photos are amazing as well
0: so they also in the article mentioned the crucifix which sounds oh, like this project. insane project. I mm. mean, do you know anything about that route? Other than that, I'm pretty sure it's in Utah in the desert.
1: I believe it's on the White Rim. I know they've been out there a few times. And I think maybe done all the moves. You know, we have we had a news update on their last trip to the White Rim, I think last summer maybe or mm-hmm. something like that, last spring. Um, and they went out and tried the crucifix some and ended up putting up some other routes. But, yeah, it sounds like that thing is... Uh, yeah, a lifetime project probably. Yeah. I mean, these guys are as good as it gets at crack climbing, and you know, it's it's. I think it's something like, you know, it's like mono finger locks in a giant horizontal roof with like 514 climbing to get there, and 514 <laughs> something like that, 514 yeah. climbing after. I mean, just a total nightmare
0: yeah and also speaking about that they had the first descent of century crack Mm -hmm. and in the issue there's a photo of danny parker repeating century crack which was kind of a cool little tie in there
1: yeah i thought that was cool and that sort of you know works well with the training issue too if you look online i wrote a longer piece about danny's ascent and he talked about i mean he trained like for this route for a year Uh i mean talk about dedication he's like I want to do that route that route requires an incredibly specific set of strengths and skills and i'm going to acquire them and, and his wife um you know ashley i think it's ashley craycroft um is trying it too so they they train together in, in their garage you know they're both both trying to get strong to do the route so yeah i thought that was cool
0: okay let's talk about tires and ice the andrew burr feature hmm i mean So for me personally, ice climbing is something I can't really uh, jive with for this reason that it just seems like such an arduous task Mm -hmm. to get to the climbing. It seems uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but you know, they, you know, reading the article, it seems like they had a good time and it's a good adventure for them.
1: Yeah. I think in that sick, twisted way (laughs) that that, that ice climbers enjoy, they had a good time, you know, riding their bikes, falling into rivers, getting frozen, getting lost, trying to find the huts. Yeah. I thought it was cool. I mean, it's unique, right? Like yeah. the idea that, okay, there's these climbs deep in the back country. Yeah. We could walk there. We might get there quicker on bikes or maybe not, but you know, no matter what, it's going to be an adventure. Yeah. I thought it was, it was cool. Burr, yeah. you know, he was with us in, um, came Brack and he just really likes sketchy shit. So <laughs> that, that this is not a surprise to me.
0: Yeah. So what were some, uh, other highlights in the issue for you personally?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, another feature that stood out to me was Bennett Barthelemy's feature Viva Caliza, which is about the uh, the kind of the moderate and multi-pitched uh, limestone climbing mixed sport and trad on Spain's Costa Blanca. You know, it's a an area that's been written about a lot and you'll see features here and there. And it's sort of known as this European, you know, winter climbing mecca because it's warm and sunny there. But he... Bennett's a really funny guy, and he he's really good at kind of going out and having these sort of crazy misadventures mm-hmm. and then portraying them in print and in photos. And I thought, I don't know, this is one of the, the liveliest features we've had in a while. Uh-huh. You just have, you have to really dig into it, but there's this funny sort of dry wit that comes through in a lot of the anecdotes. And just really amazing photos, too. They'll get you fired uh-huh. up to go there. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looks great.
0: Well, one of my favorite departments was Andrew Towers grasping at draws. Mm-hmm. I mean... So for me personally, like I loved Urban Climber and Andrew was one of the editor-in-chiefs at Urban Climber and just hearing about, you know, the antics from him moving to San Francisco, expecting to, you know, train a lot, be outside climbing a ton, meeting, you know, a new group of bros that go (laughs) climbing with Uh and actually realizing the exact opposite not really climbing at all spending a lot of time at the desk right you know and then moving to colorado and just getting spanked on some moderate (laughs) boulders it it, it, uh, it was pretty entertaining for me
1: yeah i thought it was funny it was a good sort of come to jesus you know (laughs) like self-realization piece and tower's really good at that self-deprecating humor Yeah. yeah i thought it was good i mean it's sort of funny he moved from the bay area where there's lots of gyms and lots of places to train, not a ton of rock. And then you move to Crested Butte where there's some rock, but you it's actually really isolated small mountain town. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, you, you got to find your own fun up there. And if you're motivated to climb, I don't know what you do there in the winter. <laughs> Ski, Ski, I guess? Ski. Yeah, if you're motivated to climb, you can go skiing in the winter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how you address that.
0: Well, I hope to get out there soon and visit with him because it sounds like he needs some company. Yeah,
1: he needs help. Everyone go out there and help out Andrew Tower. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Well, that issue, the February-March training issue, goes on sale on January 15th. So you can pick that up at your local retailer or if you're a subscriber, it should be showing up any day. All right. Let's move on to gear that you've been testing.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, what's been really standing out with you as far as uh, gear that...
1: Well, here I'll make a little sound. and <laughs> yeah. Try to guess what those are. Well, you can see what. Well, they I are. can see. I won't give it away. Well, yeah. I'll give it
0: away now. They're the uh, new C4 Black Diamond cams. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, they are the new Camelots. Um, I got my hand on these. Got my hands on these in summer for sort of a preview. Uh huh. So I wrote a preview on climbing site. I tested them for like a month or two. Then they had to go back. Then they. Where found- you
0: been testing them mostly?
1: um i tested them mostly in boulder canyon and the staunton state park which is kind of up in the platts both granite areas granite areas yeah with mixed climbing i'm trying to think have i used them in eldo yet any flat iron climbing with those mm, yeah a little bit on mixed routes flat okay. irons don't really have much crack climbing so yeah. you know kind of hard to use them up there um yeah but they came back to us and i'm, I'm testing them some more for the gear guide I, you know i just I've been testing them, I put them in partners hands. I, I just think I mean Camelot is, you know, it's iconic and it's just cool to see them kind of given the an update. Yeah. You know.
0: And what are the updates for these?
1: Things aren't radically changed. It's not like you're going to pick them up and it's going to be a new piece of gear. I think they they amped up the color coding so that the slings and the heads are brighter and, okay. and easier to match. So it's easier and quicker to pull the piece off your harness and go okay that's this is what i've got you know like this one right here i think i'm holding is the blue the 0.3 yeah it's a little bluer a little brighter um which might not sound like a big update but when you're like you know hanging you're pumped
0: (laughs) (laughs) like you want to pull the right cam
1: yeah yeah you do exactly yeah i really like that Uh, i think they made the trigger pulls more ergonomic and the thumb push more ergonomic too. Mm yeah I think they refined those a bit. You know the cam heads, the double axle, all that's still the same. I think the big thing with these, and I'll pull out the number four. I know no one can see this because it's a podcast, but so from number four on up to number six, they did this very cool thing where so you know you when you're carrying these big cams in your pack on your harness, like the the lobes are they can be giant and they're butterflied out and they're hitting you in the leg and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So they had this um, really savvy idea that you can keep the lobes pulled down and locked down until you're ready to use them. So basically, if you pull the trigger all the way back, there's two kind of like little paperclip-looking things that hook onto these flanges near the um, the thumb press mm-hmm. at the stem of the cam, and then the cam just stays all the way down. Huh. Yeah, so it's fully retracted at this point, and it can stay that way on your harness or in your pack until you need it. And then when you need to activate it, you just pull the trigger a little more. And it releases all the way back.
0: Interesting. So you don't have to like disengage.
1: No, you know, I mean, you'd be pulling the trigger anyway, right? To place the cam. So you just have to, it's already fully retracted and cam down. So you just have to um, give it a quick squeeze and it'll be all the way open. And then you can pull it down so you know it's sort of that same idea like what people do with Valley Giants and and mm-hmm. at big cams, where they would put a stick, stick through, <laughs> through <yeah. laughs> the holes in, in the lobes but this is like a way better version of mm-hmm. that so I thought that was pretty cool and that's on the four five and six and yeah again it just makes them way easier to carry. to carry um, I think they got a little lighter too these aren't the ultralights but I know uh-huh. I think they lighten things up a little okay. too, but
0: and those are gonna be available spring spring 19?
1: 2019 Cool. Yeah, and I'm you know again I'm back to testing the the full set, but um I've been very happy with them. There's one I've been carrying this number four around. There's a root in the flat irons I want to put it in, but I keep getting skunked up there by conditions. So uh-huh. maybe, which root is that? Uh, is that I want, that
0: third? I, oh, you want say? What's that?
1: Oh no, it's not <laughs> it's not like some secret root. I just want to link the bottom of discipline and the top of cornucopia. These old school slabs on the box. Uh-huh. And there's like this hole for the number four gamelot, but every time I go up there, it's we keep getting skunked by conditions. The other day, the snow snow melt was spitting off the lip of the wall. So <laughs> maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. It's pretty warm here it's now. Pretty warm today.
0: Cool. So the next issue is the Gear Guide. You're mm-hmm. in the thick of it right now. Mm-hmm. Anything to be looking forward to on that issue?
1: Um, you know, I think for gear wonks and gear heads, it's probably the most exciting issue of the year. I mean, we have our five categories from last year carried over. Base camp alpine trad sport bouldering um we're gonna have i think 25 pages of new gear kind of the best and brightest awesome. so, yeah i think it'll be cool there'll be some stuff that we've already reviewed but that's of such high quality that we're bringing it back and then mm-hmm. just a lot of new stuff that that people might not have seen and then you know our big feature is going to be about putting up new routes on mount sinai uh in the egyptian desert and the sinai oh. peninsula which is a place that has had sporadic climbing activity on and off through the years but it was also a place of, you know, notorious political turmoil. I and mean, you know, all out wars, terrorist uh-huh. attacks, things like that. Um and a crew of four guys from Wyoming went there um and, and put together a really good article about that, you know, the big wall first ascent kind of deep in the Sinai, but it looks at the larger issues, you know, the political context and the way that and the ways in which we're all connected even though the mm-hmm. world is obviously a pretty screwed up place right now. Yeah
0: all right well thanks matt looking forward to seeing that uh, gear
1: guide awesome thank you kevin all right talk to you later all right see ya.
0: all right well let's move on to the next segment with james lucas and his interview with will aglin over at tension climbing here it is
2: okay i'm sitting here with will anglin a 29 year old almost 30 year old from arvada colorado He uh, grew up on the East Coast and um, started climbing out there in 2001 at around 12 years old. He's a competitive gym climber. He climbed a a bit in the New River Gorge, in the Red River Gorge. Then in high school, he headed out to uh, Black Canyon of the Gunnison and went to school out there at Western State, where he majored in outdoor leadership and resort management with a minor in exercise physiology. Yeah. Okay. And, um, <clears throat> he started bouldering more while he was in college. And since then he's, uh, his climbing has gotten a lot stronger. He's climbed dozens of V 12s, V 13s. He's climbed warrior up in, uh, Lincoln Lake and La Laplanche in the front range. They're both V 14. He's a certified personal trainer who worked at EarthTracks climbing gyms for a while, uh, for about a decade. And in 2016, he started tension climbing with Ben Spaneth and Gabe Adams. And they have their own climbing gym in just South Denver? Uh, North Denver. North Denver. Yeah. Uh, And if you've ever been in there, it's an amazing training facility. There's a huge beast wall uh, a 45 degree spray wall. There's a tension board and there's weights, there's a campus board. There's all kinds of like unique training equipment that Will's used like, uh, this undercling on the campus board so he could do, <laughs> simulate the crux move on warrior up and, uh, we're just sitting here talking a little bit about training. And I guess, uh, my first question for you will is, uh, who should be training? Like, uh, I mean, I've been climbing for 18 years, and sometimes I wonder, should I be training? Like, what is training? I think that's probably the,
3: the bigger question is, what is training? Mm-hmm. Because I've seen a lot of people who say they're training, and then I watch what they're doing, and it's not training, And then I know a lot of people who really like to say that they don't train and then you watch the way that they go about your climbing and uh, you're like, yeah, you're training. That's exactly what training looks like. And I think that's something that people get confused a lot with. I think right now, if you go into a climbing gym, a lot of people seem to mistake working out with training. And I'm not really sure exactly where that comes from, but to me, training is just a long-term plan for progression that takes into account, you know, specific strengths and weaknesses and hones in on different aspects of climbing at specific times in order to accomplish specific goals. And in that way, you can only ever climb outside and still absolutely be training. Mm-hmm. And you can also go into the gym and do a stupid, a super rugged TRX workout and absolutely not be training at all. Right, because you're not like being methodical about it. Uh, I think. I think the for me for something to be training it has to have a specific goal and it has to have specific steps to progress towards that goal if you're just doing core every thursday because and you do the same 33 sit-ups every time or whatever it is there's no progression there and and there's no real specific goal other than being like, oh, well, I want a stronger core. Like, well, why? Why do you want a stronger core? Like the core is specifically is like a whole huge complex system of all these different trunk muscles, and it's not just your abs. And it's like that's one of those things that people toss around core a ton, and that could mean anything almost.
2: Right. So it's like this idea of like climbing for fitness or working out for fitness.
3: Yeah. Like I, I, and I mean, glamour muscles. Sorry, say it again.
2: Or cool glamor muscles. Cool Climber muscles. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm all about people climbing for whatever the reason they want to climb for. Mm -hmm. There's no real good or bad reason to do it. Like if you're climbing and you're having fun and you're getting out of it what you want to get out of it, then awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean it's a great tool for fitness people want to like have that be their crossfit essentially and after work they go climbing and Mm -hmm. you know they're in better healthier shape for that then i think that's amazing you know not not everyone needs to be trying to push the bleeding edge of the sport or trying to like totally maximize their genetic potential and blow a bunch of pulleys along the way like that's that's not necessary for everyone to have fun. That doesn't need to be the end all be all.
2: Like if you're going into the gym, or you're going out to the crag, mm-hmm. training is just like having a plan, or having like some sort of objective for the day, or having like a a greater idea of like what you're working towards.
3: Yeah. So a a training plan is typically made up of different cycles that look at increasingly smaller or larger bits of time. So like a microcycle could be uh, a sequence of like one to five or seven days or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you can zoom out a little bit more and talk about like a mesocycle, which for climbing is uh, I, I typically look at as seasons. So four per year mm-hmm. and then Uh, a macro cycle which is the whole shebang like where do I want to be in five years right or or longer or whatever like how am I going to progress through my climbing career on the whole and that's not that's definitely not something that everyone needs to be worried about I think we for whatever reason have kind of made it so that Anyone who's in the gym feels like they need to be training because right. they're in the gym. Mm-hmm. And you can really just go into the gym and climb and have like a really good time yeah. and continue to progress and just hang out and do whatever. You don't need to, to be super structured or... OCD about all this stuff but if you want to <laughs> then there's a whole ton of room for that uh uh-huh. and that's something that I find really fun like it it I enjoy the mundane and annoying parts of training to me that kind of stuff's really fun and I enjoy I enjoy planning it I enjoy doing it yeah. um I enjoy the results from it but if it's not something you enjoy doing uh, you can really progress a lot in climbing without ever having to like be writing in a notebook every time you go climbing.
2: How do you do that?
3: How do you progress without
2: writing? Yeah, in a without like yeah, without having to put thought into it all the time. I think and fixate on it. I think the nice the nice thing
3: about climbing is that it's really really fun. Something I say a lot is the hardest thing about climbing is not climbing Mm -hmm. because it's a blast. And if you do it all the time, you end up getting hurt. Mm -hmm. So really just making sure that you're not climbing too much is kind of the beginning of that. Mm -hmm. If you're climbing seven days a week, you're not really giving your body that much time to recover. And it's those recovery periods that actually – allow your body to get stronger it's not when you go to the gym you're breaking yourself down when you're resting you're building yourself back up right and so if you just go climbing and allow yourself to recover from sessions climbing itself is something that really especially with like the grading system and everything and the kind of people it attracts it's it's a challenge and i I feel like nearly everyone i've ever talked to about climbing would always love to climb harder. Mm-hmm. And so just by going climbing and trying harder and harder things and allowing yourself to recover between sessions, that's essentially a basic training plan. And you will, you can get a heck of a lot stronger just doing that. And then the examples are all around of people who don't Hangboard three times a week and don't do a bunch of weighted pull-ups and go out and year to year continue to progress and continue to climb at some of the highest levels in the sport. And granted, some of those people are mutants and they're really fun to watch, but mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily give us a ton of information to go on. Right. Um, but nevertheless, like just just climbing is is a workout, is stimulus for your body. And you can you can go a really long way
2: with that. Do you think he, you can improve faster by hangboarding and campusing and getting really into training? I get and the minutiae of it, like, oh, I deadlifted five pounds more. Oh, I did like one four and a half on yeah. campus rounds.
3: Yeah, I mean you can you can definitely there's an opportunity to progress faster than just going climbing Mm -hmm. and what that typically looks like is putting more thought and more planning into what you're climbing and how you're climbing and when and how that stimulus is going to progressively increase over time with periods of rest and then there's all sorts of uh, supplemental exercises that you can do to help play on the climbing that you're already doing. And mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is, you know, weightlifting, hangboarding, campus board, all that. But it's important to realize that just because your hangboard numbers are going up, or just because you're campusing further, or you deadlift more, whatever it is, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be climbing better or climbing harder climbs you can look at those different exercises and track progression within those, Mm -hmm. but without really understanding how to climb and how to move really well and without actually reinforcing that with actually going climbing, it's really difficult to take all those increases in raw strength or power and actually translate them to increased climbing performance.
2: Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess are there any good ways to, um, like focus your training on getting better, like taking your strength and applying it to climbing more?
3: Yeah. So the, the big question then becomes, how do I train technique? Like I, mm-hmm. that's that's a question I get asked a ton. Um, and it's simultaneously like super simple but also really hard to answer because it really it really just looks like going climbing mm-hmm. and just trying really hard. Where I see people diverge is there are people who will go climbing and they are presented with a, a boulder problem or a sport climber whatever it is, some sort of climbing objective and they don't feel like they can do it. Mm-hmm. And they either say, "Oh, I'm not strong enough. like I can't hold that crimp right. or I can't like pull through on that hold or whatever it is. And then they stop trying and they go to the campus board or they go to the hang board and mm-hmm. they train for two weeks. And then they try and come back to that climb and try and do it again. And then they're like, oh, like I feel a little better, but I still can't do it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, I'm just going to go hangboard more and campus more. right?" And then they go back and, and it's just this cycle. And then eventually they probably will overpower that, that move and then do that climb. And then it's been reinforced to them that, oh, hangboarding and campus boarding is what's going to get me up my projects. Right. It works. It works. Or that another person can be presented with exactly the same situation and you just see them, they'll fall, they get off, they look at the climb, they're like, okay, like that didn't work. What else can I try? Mm -hmm. And they try something else and then they try something else and then they try something else. And the whole time that they're trying something else and not saying, oh, I'm not strong enough and then walking away and hangboarding, that's them learning technique. That's them figuring out, what they can and can't do given certain holds, given a certain wall angle, given certain positions. And over time, that kind of learning turns into climbing technique. And that's that's been my experience personally and also with the people that I've coached. Mm-hmm. When I was working with people, the the way that I would teach technique essentially is I would make climbs for them that accentuated some specific thing, and then they would try them until they did them. <laughs> but, I, but I knew I would, I would make them so that I knew that they had the required strength to do it, right. but I knew that they would have to overcome something technically in order to succeed on the climb.
2: Like a a drop knee or a heel hook, or yeah, some specific movement, yeah, okay, and and that's that's really
3: difficult because it requires you to try something with the conviction of knowing that you are strong enough to do it,, mm-hmm. but also possibly being wrong about that, <laughs> um like that. That to me is kind of the coolest part about like trying to get better at climbing is just that sort of blind willingness to try really, really hard. Right. And, and like believe you can do and it. And believe you can do it and know you can do mm-hmm. it, but still be able to walk away empty handed and still hold on to that belief and then mm-hmm. come back time after time after time until mm-hmm. eventually you do it. Right, um, And that's where I see like the best climbers diverge from the people who are just pretty good at it mm-hmm. is the people who will go back over and over and over and over again and they never, they never give up and it never occurs to them that they might not be able to do it. Mm. And that's a super powerful learning tool.
2: Yeah. Do you think there's a good way to build that? belief in yourself like that sort of confidence i I wonder if that's like something you can train as well
3: i don't know yeah i don't know i don't know if it's if it's kind of an inherent personality trait or if there are certain situations that can bring it out in people but it's definitely something to kind of you know look look inside about and figure out how you actually deal with failure Mm -hmm. and what that means to you and what you're willing to kind of go through to get better. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, a really good example, um, Jeremy Fullerton, do you you know him? Yeah, I know Jeremy. So he's been, or had been working on this roof boulder out in Matthew Winters Park called Fantasia. If oh, right. You know, that's mm-hmm. super long, roof yeah. boulder, like 30 some moves or something. Mm-hmm. And I think he put over 50 days into right. it or something over a couple of years. And the thing about that climb is you basically like once you get it figured out, you can do all the parts like no problem. Right. But mm-hmm. then there's this one move right at the end. That's kind of like a dynamic stab to a small two finger pocket. Right. And you can climb, and it's basically over when you stick that. The next holds a jug, and it's done. Mm-hmm. And so you can climb that entire boulder problem, and then not send it right. on this one move. That's mm-hmm. not actually that hard. It's just really particular mm-hmm. and super accurate, and and you can feel good and still miss it. Right. And for dozens and dozens of sessions. Jeremy basically climbed this whole boulder problem over and over and over and over again just to fumble on the pocket. And he could have very easily just, like, not climbed that boulder problem and gone somewhere else and had other success and, you know, done whatever, any other boulder problem but that boulder problem. Mm -hmm. But he went back over and over and over again until he did it. He just did it this season. And, like, that to me... Like that's that's the sickest thing ever. I mean, it's cool when people go in and have like quick su- success on hard boulder problems, right. but like the reason Jeremy hasn't even been climbing that long—right? Um, less than ten years, I
2: think—and
3: mm-hmm. his tick list is super impressive. Yeah, he's gotten really good in a short period of time, mm-hmm. and and it's because of that. It's because he doesn't give up. It it. Doesn't really occur to him that he might not be able to do something. He just goes back and tries it until he does it. Right. Sam Weir is another really good example of that. Another person who hasn't even been climbing for 10 years and has climbed V15. Right. And works a regular 40 hour a week job and he just. the the joke for a long time was like, can Sam climb a hard boulder without a headlamp on? Right. Yeah. Uh, And just because he worked in the day and Mm -hmm. he would go out and he would climb at night and he went to the project over and over and over again and was like, and I've talked to him about it and he's like, yeah, I just never think that I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And he just continues to go back and then he does it. Yeah. And you don't always see that kind of conviction from people and that is like to some level or another, that's that kind of key component that really allows people to progress in climbing, whether they uh, are training like what you would think of as training, like training exercises, hangboard, campus board, that stuff in the gym, or whether just the way that they go about their session as a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Because even Sam, uh, like Sam trains in the gym. Too. Right. Um, and he's super dedicated. He, he was trying to climb this like V14 and Eldo by himself because it's work, after work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Over stoker. <laughs> yeah. He's just psyched and he uh-huh. wants it. And he fell off the finish hold and snapped his foot uh, right. and basically crawled out of the backcountry and has been in a boot for weeks climbing one-footed, canvassing, Mm -hmm. hangboarding, and he's really strong right now, and he just got the boot off, so it's about to go down. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, like, that's... It's almost less important exactly what you do compared to, like, the conviction with which you do it. Mm. Ten-second hangs on the hangboard, six-second hangs on the hangboard, seven and three repeaters. right? Like, that... That kind of minutia, like, it it doesn't... It's all going to work, right? you know? Like, if you progressively hang on a smaller and smaller edge or hang with slightly more weight or mm-hmm. hang a little bit longer or give yourself mm-hmm. less rest, if you're exposing your body to some sort of a progressive stimulus, it's going to adapt. You're going to get stronger. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that kind of conviction like whether or not you're actually going to be able to put that into practice like that remains to be seen
2: hmm. Hmm. cool yeah that seems like uh that seems like the b- best advice you could give someone it seems like it matters more about like yeah just going to the gym and doing it someone who's got these like great one-liners and
3: stuff and and I have a ton of respect for uh, this guy, Steve Bechtel. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got a few things that, like, totally have, like, stuck with me for such a long time. And one of them is the the best training plan is the one that you do. right. <laughs> and that, like, I've seen just some incredible training plans on paper. And then people don't do them.
2: Right. And
3: then it's not the plan's fault. It's like, you didn't do the work. Yeah. And I've seen like the most bogus training plans from like what is this person thinking but they're in there doing it right all the time mm-hmm. and they get wicked strong yeah and it's because they're they're doing it they're in there doing the work and then that pays off
2: yeah i wonder if it is like that translation like they they just have a plan and they're focused and so whatever they're doing it's just like okay they're setting themselves up into this like focused mindset yeah and they can translate that to to their climbing or their project more
3: for sure and and i think it's it's one of those things where if you can if you can make it so painfully simple that you would basically have to try not to do your training program to not do it like that's that's really where i try to get people to start these days is like what's the simplest thing that we can do like the one thing that we can tweak that you can definitely do time and time again that will help you progress and we do that one thing Mm -hmm. and then like once you prove that you can do that, and and then you do that, and you see benefit from it, right. you kind of get a little bit more addicted. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then we and then we add one more thing, like right. one mm-hmm. one more level of discipline on top of that, and then you do that, and then you get the benefit from that, and then you get a little bit more addicted, and then it can grow in complexity. But the thing that something that I think is really important is you can if you're not doing anything at all,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and you. All you have to do is a little bit. Right. And you're gonna get better. Mm -hmm. And if you try and pile on this like huge like go from nothing to this huge complex training plan where every day your week is scheduled, like all your sets, all your reps, like you get to climb for this many hours, this many days a week, that that's just too much. You're you're not gonna be able to actually execute that Mm -hmm. and then you're going to constantly feel bad about all the training that you're not doing. And then you might get a little better. You might not. And then all of a sudden you've got this bad taste in your mouth for like what training should or shouldn't be. And you're like, ah, oh, I don't train like training sucks, whatever. I just want to go climbing. And you really could have just gone climbing all along. Right. And then done like two sets of pull-ups at the end of your session. Right. Two times a week. Mm-hmm. That's it. And you could have got just as strong. Right. Um, and then you can slowly build that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really not as complicated as it's made out to be all the time.
2: Cool. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for coming in. That was super helpful. I think everybody's psyched to know a little more about training and how to be efficient with it. Um, hopefully this interview will help people get out there and do a little more in their climbing.
3: Thanks. Thanks for
2: having me down.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, that's the end of the show. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Want to thank Will Eglin from Tension Climbing, as well as Matt Sammet and James Lucas for joining. And please make sure to subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Theme music was provided by Small Houses at smallhouses.band. That's it everybody. See you at the next Basecamp.